Turn to Genesis chapter 19, and some of you just did a double take and said, hey, we did that last week. <laughs> but we're not finished with Genesis 19. And uh, I, I debated, you know, should we read the whole chapter again? But this is the Word of God. The only thing inspired, the only thing that's directly from God to us is what we're going to read together. So I thought, well, we don't have a choice, really. We need to read the Scriptures, and then we can talk about it. And if there's time for what I have to say, then we'll, go, we'll get to that. Genesis 19, verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. They said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew, to, drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, daughters, sons, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not just a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt." And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, 
The smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now when Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And his firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from, from our father." So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Father, we thank you that we who are called by your name are your children to this day. Father, we pray that you would make us faithful, that you would grow our faith, that we would have strength in faith, and Lord, that you would give us a greater love for you so that we will fight against sin in our own lives. Lord, that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after reading chapter 19 again this morning together, um, you may remember that I admitted last week I really kind of wanted to rush through this chapter. Um, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to kind of avoid uh, talking about many of these things, but here we are in a second part, <laughs> a second message on this chapter. And you remember, we didn't really study the whole chapter very much. We, we looked at parts of it and saw the big picture, the, the primary idea that God judges the wicked, but He saves the righteous. And we know that the only way that anyone can be righteous is by God's grace in, through their faith, the faith that He gives them, the faith that they believe in Him with and turn away from their sins, the faith that is accounted to us as righteousness. And there are some other important lessons for us here in chapter 19. So, so that's why we're still here. We need to learn these lessons because chapter 19 shows us this man, Lot, and we've been looking at Abraham a lot, but now we're looking at his nephew. And, and if we didn't have 2 Peter 2, we, we talked about it last week, if we didn't have 2 Peter 2 that called Lot righteous three times, we might be excused for questioning whether Lot really was a believer, whether he was righteous after reading this chapter. And it's not because we like to sit and judge people, oh, is that person a Christian? Is that person really a believer? But because the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament is given to us as examples, they're written for examples, they're written for our instruction. So if we're going to look at this example, we need to understand, is this a, is this a believer or an unbeliever? Because there are people in the Bible who are not believers but do good things. And there are believers in the Bible who do some bad things. So we need to consider this. We think of Balaam, that, that wicked Old Testament prophet who was not a prophet of God, yet God used him. He spoke through him, and he did what he was called to do by God, and yet he was a wicked prophet. He convinced and taught Israel to be enticed by the women of Moab, and so they fell into sin. So we can learn lessons from the example of Balaam, 
but not good examples, as an unbeliever, even though he obeyed and God threatened his life so that he obeyed. We don't have to learn those lessons, but um, in fact, in 2 Peter 2, just a few verses after talking to us about Lot, Peter says that Balaam loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey with a human voice restrained the prophet's madness. So, we look at examples, and we need to learn, we need to be instructed um, from unbelievers, even those who do good things and bad things, but then believers who do bad things. And as we've looked at this chapter, we've looked at the previous chapters, Abraham has done some head-scratching things (laughs) as a believer. I'm not sure why you did that, Abraham, but Lot here seems to be trying to win a contest for how far a believer can get into foolishness, into sin, And, and so at least he is a believer and God's mercy is just going to be poured out on him. And I hope that that's going to be encouraging for us because we're still going to mess up. We're going to do some head-scratching things sometimes and God's still going to love us, his people. So Lot is going to show us what it can look like for a believer to live in a very wicked culture. Not what it should look like, Jesus shows us that. Jesus is always our perfect example. He's always the one, and and we have other good examples, but Lot's going to show us what it can look like because there should be joy and, and peace. There should be a hope. There should be love. There should be a growing faith this is, this is more of the miserable version of what it can look like to just survive through. How do we know that's missing from Lot? Well, Jesus taught us that you can know what's in the heart by listening to the words that come out of a mouth, right? The words that come out of your mouth started from inside, and they come out of your heart. Now, that's not foolproof. We understand people can lie. They can deceive for a time. But eventually, our speech reveals what's happening in our heart. When, when you hear complaining, there's something going on in that heart. When there's gossip, there's something going on in that heart. When there's filthy language, there's something happening in that person's heart, and that's why Jesus taught us that. So, as we walk through this passage again together, the focus is going to be on the dialogue spoken by the different people to find out what's happening in their heart. We're going to listen to Lot's words and others' words. We're going to learn, and Lord willing, we'll learn how to listen to our heart and identify where we've gone off, where we've gotten off, where we've gone wrong. Because this is an important part of the Christian life that many of us miss. Okay, because we hear a lot, we talk about this a lot, we hear a lot, listen to your heart. Listen to what your heart says. And and when the world says that, what they mean is listen to your heart and obey it, follow it, right? That's what the world means by that. And we just said that we need to listen to our heart. But when we're talking about listening to our heart, what we mean is listen to it and then stop and compare it with what God says and see if it matches up because a lot of the time it's not going to. The voice that we hear inside is not going to match up. And so what we're doing is listening to our hearts so that we can identify sin, problem areas, so that we can deal with those. So for example, when an unbeliever, his heart tells him, indulge yourself in looking at this. It's online, it's free, it's easy, it's not going to hurt anybody. His heart tells him to indulge in that, and he does, he listens, and he follows his heart. When a believer hears his heart telling him to indulge himself in this, and he follows his heart, he, he does the same thing. He goes into sin, and, and it leads to further sin, continual sin, and, and just a, a continued falling into it and being, and being hooked by it. 
But what he should be doing, what the believer should be doing is listening to his heart, evaluating it against the Word of God, and then saying, I've got a sin problem. I've got a lust problem. I've got a problem with what I desire, and, and, and I need to start dealing with that. So the believer should be, should be listening to his heart, not obeying it, but comparing it to what God has said, and then counseling himself discipling himself, advising himself, asking for help from his brothers and sisters. Hey, help me to, to do and to want what God says. Our problem, Christian, is not that we don't listen to our heart enough. Brother and sister, our problem is that we listen to our heart too much, and then we don't talk back to our heart enough. So that's in your notes. Rather than listen to your heart, talk to it. Talk to your heart. Yes, we're encouraging you to talk to yourself. <laughs> The problem isn't talking to yourself. The problem is listening to yourself, okay? So, so let's, this goes for areas of sin, like in that example, but it also goes for areas that could lead into sin that aren't necessarily sinful. Like, you know, if you get a, a diagnosis or if you get laid off from your job or, or bad things just start happening, it's not sinful for those things to happen to us. It's not wrong to get a, a diagnosis and it's not wrong to be rattled by it, to be shaken, oh my God. God, what's happening? What's going on? What am I dealing with? Why is this coming? But it can become sinful when we dwell on it so much. Our heart begins to tell us, you know, you, you should just give up. You should just be sad. You should be down. You should be depressed. You should be anxious. You should be worried. You should be fearful. You should doubt. God, why should I do anything you've told me to do when you've done this to me? That's what our heart will tell us, and that's how it can lead us into sin. The person of faith in Jesus Christ has the ability and the responsibility to counsel our heart, to, to, to talk to our heart rather than be led by it, rather than listen to it. And in Psalm 42, the sons of Korah wrote a psalm that deals with deep distress and just, just a, a problem that has come, and instead of listening to the heart, it, the psalm teaches us to instruct our heart. He, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. My soul is cast down within me. It, it was in turmoil. He said, waves go over me, drowning him in his sorrow. He feels like he has a deadly wound in his bones. He's hurting so much. And on top of all that, people pile on him. They say, where's your God? You look at what's happening to you. Where's God in all of this? And so he's, he's getting it inside. He's getting it outside. He says, why have you forgotten me, God? That's his heart. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't let all of that stand. Twice he counsels himself. He instructs his heart. He says, don't just get over it. Don't just pretend like nothing's wrong. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he talks back to his heart. Counsels, he advises, he disciples himself through misery, through deep distress. He doesn't pretend that nothing's wrong. He doesn't say, just get over it. Because even in deep distress, even in great trouble, we turn our heart to the truth and we counter what we're being told from inside, from outside, from all around and within. And rather than rely on ourselves for truth, rather than just what we can see, what we can know, our own wisdom, we turn to God, we trust in Him. And we let him rule us. So we've gone over all of that because Lot, in chapter 19, is going to be ruled by what he sees, what he knows, his wisdom, his knowledge, rather than counseling himself to turn to the Lord. And in studying this together, we're going to see the mistakes he made so that, Lord willing, we won't make the same mistakes.
that we can grow. We can listen to our heart, and we can counsel, we can advise, we can disciple ourselves. And Lot's such a great study for this because he lived in the midst of a wicked culture. He lived in such a wicked culture, we said, that God destroyed it. That was a wicked culture. But we said last week that God didn't destroy his culture and leave ours because we're so much better. (laughs) We see our culture descending into depths of decay and and wickedness and and sin just as much. But we've been learning the last few weeks that partly God, he, he, he doesn't bring his judgment for the sake of the righteous. He doesn't bring his judgment so that we have time to spread his message. And he doesn't bring it so that he has given the people around us time to repent. So the surrounding context of Lot is not all that dissimilar morally to ours. So how is a person of faith, how is a Christian to live in such wickedness and be in this culture like a ship in the water without the water getting into the ship, as we talked about last week? Let's follow Lot through this account, and there are three examples to learn from. A, the first one in verses 1 through 11 is dealing with sin wrongly. Dealing with sin wrongly. Now, he starts out in verses 1 through 3, and there's no pressure. There's no fiery trial. This is the easy part. The men come, and he's hospitable to them. We talked about that last week. And it doesn't have to be gourmet, <laughs> praise God. It doesn't have to be perfect. He used what he had. Abraham had a tent, and he was hospitable. Lot has a house, and he's hospitable. They use what they have for the benefit of their guests. But then suddenly, verse 4, the nice quiet night of hospitality and fellowship turns into a high-pressure, literally life-or-death situation. And this, we said last week, verse 4 could mean literally every single man in the town has surrounded Lot's house. Now, have you ever had that happen before? The closest thing to that for us is every October 31st. In our neighborhood, we have people from surrounding states, it seems like, <laughs> that like just descend upon the neighborhood, and there are so many cars, they have police that patrol the area, and, and, and the cars are parked on, there's no sidewalks, or many sidewalks, but they're parked in yards, and they're blocking each other, and kids are trying to get through, and, and it's amazing, um, with all of the lights turned out, the banging on the door, and the ringing in the doorbell, and people peeking through windows, <laughs> like, my goodness, um, it, it, it kind of raises our level of, of fear a little bit. <laughs> what are they going to do to get in to try to get some candy? <laughs> it's kind of a scary time. We don't know what we would do in a situation like this where they're surrounding, they literally are trying to beat the door down and they're, they've got violent, sinful desires that they're trying to meet. So, so it, it's hard. We need to make sure again that we're not judging Lot too strictly, but... but um, as he speaks and as he acts, we've got some lessons to learn. So, Lot becomes confronted with sin. It's ruling these people. And so, to confront it, Lot uses four strategies that are terrible. <laughs> and they're awful strategies, but they're strategies that we're unfortunately going to be able to identify with. Oh, yeah, I've done that before. So, these are the lessons that we can learn from. Four strategies that we could fall for, but we need to be watchful so that we don't. Number one, verse six, the strategy of negotiating with sin. Negotiating with sin. As the people surround the house, Lot says, I know what I'll do. I'll just go out and have a talk with them. This, this is great. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Their crazed, insane sin is just taken over. I'll just go talk to them. I'll make it okay. I'm going to negotiate. You cannot negotiate, brother and sister, with sin. Many countries have a policy of not negotiating with terrorists. Why is that? 
Well, because it breeds more terrorism, right? It encourages them. It says your tactics are valid. We'll address you using those tactics. And it just spreads. It breeds more terrorism. And so they refuse to negotiate. That's what sin does. We talked about that last week. When sin gets in, it starts to spread. There can be no compromise with sin. What's compromise when you're negotiating? Well, you give a little, I'll give a little, we'll kind of meet together. No, there can be nothing about any kind of compromise. God calls us to holiness, perfection, not just try to be a little bit better than you are, right? So, so negotiating with sin, we're compromising, giving a little bit, and when sin gets in, we lose no matter how much gets in. What does it look like when we negotiate with sin? We talk about this. What does it, what does it mean? Well, when you tell yourself, I'll, I'll just do it a little bit. I'll, it's just, just a little sin. I'll just do it a little bit. Or I'll just do it for a short amount of time. Less than before. You know, I'll make sure others are around me so I don't go too far in it. I'll find the good in it, right? Uh, you know, God can bring good out of anything. I'll, I'll do the sin. I know it's sin. I'll do it, but um, I can negotiate it and find some good and, and get some good. That's especially um, common with gambling, right? With gambling. Well, you know, I should be stewarding my money. I should be um, providing for my family. I should be giving to the Lord. I should be giving to those in need. I should be uh, saving for the future. I should be doing all these things. But instead, if I gamble it and I win, then I'll have more to give to people. And I'll have more that I can save and help people with. And, and that's how we do it. You know, I'll, I'll make up for it. I'll, I'll just work through it. I'll just ask forgiveness later. Negotiating with sin. Letting some in. Compromising. If you're hearing your heart say these things, you're negotiating it, and you need to talk back to your heart, not listen to it, not fall for it. You know, if you have to stop and look around to see if anybody's watching before you do something, <laughs> that's a pretty good sign, right, that you're about to fail. You've already failed in your mind, but you can still stop and not, not commit whatever this sin is that you're struggling with. Sin's goal is to twist, it's to pervert, it's to spoil, it's to ruin and if it, has to, if it has to start small, it's very patient. Sin is very patient in us. It'll just let a little bit in. It'll say, that's enough. That's all I need. It gets inside and it wreaks havoc. Flee sin, we're told in the scriptures. Run from it. Get away from it. Make no provision to the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't even let a little bit in. No compromise can be made. Number two. The first strategy was a bad one. We've fallen for it. Lot did. But the second one, verse 7, is the strategy of connecting with sin. Uh, connecting, making connections. He, he comes out to them. He says, my brothers. And now he's still negotiating with them, but he's trying to make an appeal here based on their association, their, their, their connection, their closeness. Look, you're, you're doing wicked things. You're doing something really bad here, but we're brothers, you and me make connections and, and he begs them not to act wickedly rather than just saying, don't do it. You know, deny the sin and the wickedness. Unbelievers, unbelievers are not your brother and your sister. Oh man, that's, that's harsh. When, when we come to Christ and he regenerates us, he makes us new from inside, we become fundamentally and totally different than we were before. We look the same, Sometimes I wish we didn't, <laughs> but we end up looking the same, but we're not the same from inside. So we don't have, our brothers and sisters are the people who have also repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how strong of a connection we could have with people around us, it should not be anywhere as near as strong as the connection we have with the people who are our family of God. 
the family of God, brothers and sisters, the bonds that we have are even stronger. They're more powerful and they're more real even than our blood connections, our physical brothers and sisters. And that's why James says so strongly, he comes after the people, his, his, his readers. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's what James says. Because when we come to the gospel, we make a choice. Am I going to live for myself in this world and just do whatever I can to make it through and then lose my soul forever? Or am I going to turn my life over to the Lord, the Master, the good Savior Jesus? Am I going to live for Him now and forever and enjoy Him forever? Because you can't hang on to both. But it won't profit you to lose your soul, even if you gain the whole world. So we've chosen the gospel. We've chosen to live in Christ, for Christ, now and forever. But when we try to make connections with sin and with people who are consumed with sin, we're not dealing with it as Christ commands. 2 Corinthians 6, there's there's no unequally yoked believers who are obedient. Do not be unequally yoked. We have nothing in common with unbelievers, he says, with lawlessness, with darkness, with Belial, with idols. That that whole list in in those verses in 2 Corinthians. We are instead the temple of the living God. He's commanded us to go out from their midst and he's commanded us to be separate. Now, what does that look like? We have to be near unbelievers. We need to be around unbelievers. We can't just shun every. Are you a Christian? No. <laughs> have a nice day. That's the wrong attitude, right? We've got to be around, but we cannot make those deep connections. If you were to say, if you look at your friends and you say, well, all of my best friends are unbelievers, you need to look at your heart. You need to look at why you don't have deep connections with believers. You know, this looks like well, you know, the reason I go out to drink after work is because all of my friends go out to drink and we just go out and have a good time and we drink and then I get home and, and I want dinner ready right now. <laughs> I want what I want. And, and I just, I, I can convince myself, I can, can try to convince others that it's okay because I'm making these connections. Uh, you know, I, I use filthy language. I talk the way I do. I tell the dirty jokes because all the people around me the whole time are, are all day long, they're doing the same thing. And that just, that's just the way it is. I have to do this. That's how we make the connections the wrong way. There is another way. It's God's way, which is not tolerating sin. And it's not just pointing the finger at everybody else around you all the time and just condemning them every, for every second. It, but it is living that holy life. It is making those deep connections with, with our God our Lord, our Savior, He's real, He hears, and is making deep connections with His people. You know, I think of uh, the woman Jezebel in, in Revelation 2. Jesus says to the, the church in Thyatira, He says, you, you have that woman Jezebel there, and I've given her time to repent. She hasn't, she continues, and she teaches other people to do it. It's time for her to go. It's time for her to get out. 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad, bad company corrupts good morals. We've got to be connecting with and, and joining ourselves to the body of Christ, our family in the church. We can't be friends with sin and hate it at the same time. We, we can't be friendly and make connections with it and be trying to kill it at the same time. So the strategy of connecting isn't, isn't a good strategy either. But there's a third one that Lot tries here in verse 8. And it's a strategy that we've tried occasionally also, the strategy of substituting sin with sin. 
Number three, substituting sin with sin. Now, when we read this from Lot, wow. I, I mean, this is, it's sickening to, to consider. Uh, the only good here is that, you know, he's trying to be hospitable. He's trying to be a good host and, and protect those that God has brought under his roof. But the solution that he has is just appalling. But this is going to be a little trickier than, than we're willing to acknowledge because we see it plain and clear here in Lot, but we may not see it as clearly in ourselves. Lot looks around at his own wisdom, what he sees, and this is what he comes up with. Now, we need to understand that all sin is deserving of God's wrath, punishment, death. That's what sin is. That's what sin does. All sin is committed against God, and in God's eyes, there is only complete holiness, pure perfection, and then there's everything else, every other kind of sin. Yet, in a very real sense, there are different levels of sin and different levels of punishment for sin. There's really no such thing as a little sin. Again, holiness, sin, but sin can get deeper. It can get worse. There can be more egregious sins. And so there are levels of punishment and levels of sin. We talked about last week, Jesus said it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you who have rejected Jesus. Uh, John 19, Jesus says, the one that delivered me to you has the worse sin, right? The greater sin. So there are levels of sin and, and levels of punishment. So it is good to stay away from the worst sins. It's good to stay away from the biggest and the most obvious ones. But it's not okay to replace those big sins with little sins. It's not okay to replace sin with any kind of sin. Remember, Jesus condemned the scribes and Pharisees for straining out a gnat but swallowing a camel. They said, obedience over here is all right, and we're going to ignore the obedience over there. And it's not okay. That there is a great danger in picking out certain sins and saying, those are really bad, and we're going to stay away from those, but these little sins over here, these are okay. We're going to be okay with it. It's okay if we gossip. It's okay if we're, if we're not faithful in these ways. It's okay if we're not building one another up as long as we're not killing or committing adultery and no, making divisions like that. The most common form of this is, well, at least I'm not, right? And we say that for ourselves and we say that for other people. You, you just pick some terrible sin and you compare yourself against that. Well, at least I didn't kill somebody. <laughs> and when you do that, you're substituting sin for sin. You're excusing sin over here because I'm, I didn't do the big ones. I didn't do the terrible ones. Self-righteous pride is still sin. But listen, even when you decide, I'm going to, you know what, I'll just try to make up for it. I'll try to do something good. I, I knew that was a sin. I shouldn't have done it. I'll just try to do something good to make up for it. And what you're doing is you're still substituting sin with sin. Because you're, you're thinking that anything that I can do, any good thing that I can do can atone for the wrongs that I have done. You're cheapening Jesus' blood. And you're raising your own level of effort and your own works. You're saying, I can atone for sin by doing something good. You're replacing sin with sin. Even when you're trying to make up for something that you've done that was bad. Do you see how tricky it can be? Don't let little sins be okay because they're in the place of big sins or because you can make it okay. 1 Corinthians and Galatians both tell us just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It spreads. It gets everywhere. It does, and it doesn't play fair. <laughs> It gets us wherever we are, and when we're, especially when we're at our weakest. So there's no negotiating. 
connecting with sin, substituting sin with sin. The fourth strategy that Lot uses is the strategy of normalizing sin. And we use this too, normalizing sin, verse 9. Now, the words in verse 9 are not Lot's words, but it's the testimony of his neighbors, and it helps us to understand. It's revealing. They say he came here as a visitor, a sojourner, but now he's, now he's hanging around here judging us. He's judging us. And remember, that's where he was in the gate when the angels came. He was in the gate, and he was, he was sitting there. That's where the judges would sit. And here, apparently, he hasn't been judging between right and wrong. He hasn't been discerning between good and evil. He's been, well, this is evil, but that's worse. <laughs> and, and so I'll, I'll judge this way. He's, he's never offended anybody until now because they've been okay with him. Sin has just been a regular part of daily life, and he's never done anything to, to stand in the way of it or to stop it. But believers cannot be okay with sin. We can't just normalize it. You've got in your, in your notes Ephesians 4 and, and 1 Peter 4, and they talk about the, your former manner, the way that the, that the Gentiles act and the way that you used to act. That was normal back then, but it's not normal now for believers. Put off the sin. Put on Jesus. Put on righteousness in love. Sin cannot be accepted as normal. It can't be excused. Everybody else is doing it so it's okay. The Bible does tell us that everybody is a sinner, but that doesn't make it okay. You know, what, what we do is, you know, for adults, oh, I saw him, he was, he was sinning, but, you know, it's, it's okay, it's normal, he was stressed. When he's stressed, it's, it makes it okay. Yeah, I saw her, I heard her, she was sinning, but it's okay, um, it's normal for that time of the month. Just excuse it. It's normal. It's okay, right? My teenager was acting up, but it's okay. It's normal for an adolescent, right? We have all of these excuses just to normalize sin. It was okay for my uh, child to act that way. Boys will be boys. Uh, she was just being a little bit bossy, right? We just, we make sin normal. We make it okay, and we just excuse it, and, and it just becomes part of life, not for a believer, we, we can't just let it be okay. The world wants to tell us, closer to what we talked about last week with the, the, the sexually transmitted diseases and infections and, and whatever it's called today, it's just going to be normal for people to do what they shouldn't be doing outside of marriage. Just have to get over it. Try to find ways to have safe sex, right? Just make it normal. The, the world wants us just to make sin normal. Or, or I've heard parents say this, I'd rather my kid do it in front of me than behind my back. <laughs> so we'll just make it normal. We'll do it together. It normalizes and accepts sin as okay. And God says he hates sin. <laughs> and he says that we're to hate sin. We can't love the world and God at the same time. So these are four strategies that Lot used, and they failed. And these are strategies that we use. We've seen them in ourselves. And, and, and to deal with sin, instead of these, we've got, to, we've got to turn away from it. We've got to hate it. We've got to struggle against it. And we have the hope of 2 Peter 1, that we have God's divine power through His Word, His Holy Spirit working in us for everything that we need for life and godliness. It's His power that's been given to us. It's God who works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure, Philippians 2. We have the hope of God at work within us. And we have the hope of Hebrews 10, our brothers and sisters, our church family, stirring up one another into good works, away from sin. 
So in verses 10 and 11, Lot, who wanted to save the two angels, they saved him, pulled him back in the house. They struck the people with blindness, and, and it's just appalling. They, they wore themselves out trying to grope at the door to get in, and, and you see the pandemic, the perverseness, and the persistence of sin, as we talked about last week. It's on full display, so we cannot try to negotiate. We cannot try to connect with it. We can't try to substitute it with more. We can't try to normalize it. We must trust the Lord, turn to Him, grow in our faith, cry out to Him, Hope in God, the, the, the counsel that we give to our heart from Psalm 42 and so many other places. But that's the first example that Lot gives us, dealing with sin. B, the next one is in verses 12 to 29, responding in sin. Responding in sin, and, and the angels tell Lot, get your family together. Because of the urgency, there are three specific commands. The first one was gather your family, get them out. Now, to Lot's credit, apparently, he immediately tries to obey that command, Right? Specific command, go get your family. So he says, okay. So he runs out. But verse 15 says his wife and his two unmarried daughters are here. That means here in the house with us, right? But he has to leave to go find his sons-in-law. Now, that means they're not here. Well, if we take verse 4 literally, that every man was outside the door trying to get in, his sons-in-law are in the angry, crazed mob trying to get to the two angels to know them. If it's not, if it's hyperbole, the, the best case scenario, they're sitting in their homes doing nothing while their wives-to-be have been offered as sacrifice to that angry mob, and they're doing nothing. So, so best case scenario, they're doing absolutely nothing, and worst case scenario, they're actually there in the mob, and they're blinded from the angels. But Lot comes to them. He says, let's get out of here. The Lord's about to destroy the city. And, and they thought he was joking. Maybe he always said that. Maybe he was the guy that cried wolf. You know, God's going to judge. God's going to judge. God's going to judge. And, and, and he, he was just offhanded comments, not really serious. Maybe, uh, maybe he was always joking around. Nobody ever took him seriously because all he ever did was joke. Maybe it was the first time he ever said that. And he was living no different from anybody else. And so they thought, what do you have to, you don't know anything about that. Whatever the reason was, Lot's credibility was zero when he talked about God's judgment and God's righteousness. Would that happen to you? It happened to me. I, I've, I've shared my testimony before and in high school, and, and there was a, a boy that everybody hated, and they wanted to beat him up, and they couldn't stand him because he was a Christian who would always come around and tell people that if, unless you believe in Jesus, unless you turn from your sins, God's going to judge you. And they couldn't stand him. And when I told them I'm a Christian too, they laughed at me. They thought I was joking. I didn't convince anybody. Lot didn't convince anybody. His words, his actions, his life didn't match up with what he said he was believing. So that he had zero credibility. So he failed in the command, not because he didn't try, but because his entire life to that point didn't match up with what the message that he had to bring. His failure was in his life up to that point. The second command was to get out. Get out of the city, lest you be swept away. And this is for your own sake, right? Lest you be swept away, get out of the city. You've got whoever's going to come, so move out. But he lingered. He didn't obey. He, there was no immediacy. There's no urgency. He says, God, I don't want to obey right now. I, I don't want to do what you've told me to do. So they physically grab him and drag him out. Catch this, because of God's mercy. It's God's mercy. 
So not only has Lot committed grave mistakes in trying to deal with sin, now he's adding it, adding to sin by committing sins himself, by disobeying these direct commands, even though they're for his own good. But it wasn't because he deserved it. It was because God was merciful. That's such an important verse, verse 16. Again, you know, if, if you're a person that underlines or highlights, highlight that verse, underline that verse, star that verse. I've underlined it and starred it. <laughs> such a great verse. The third specific command, make a clean break. That, that's what he told him. That's what the angels told him to do. Make a clean break. Get out. Escape for your life. Do not look back. Don't stop. Don't take a look and wonder like, whoa, what's happening? What's it, what would it be like? I miss all the stuff that's there. That was part of the problem. Their heart and their mind should have been on what the Lord was saying rather than on the world behind them. And even Lot argues with him. Oh, no. <laughs> There's an acknowledgement of grace here, but you know, I'll never make it to the hills. I'll lose my life before I get there. The last words we have from Lot are these. The last words that we have in Scripture from Lot are these compromising, rash, trying, to, trying to negotiate with God on his commands. You know, sometimes, because this favor was granted to Lot, okay, you can live in that city. Sometimes God grants our prayers, even when he knows that, you know what, that's not the best for you, but to teach you to trust me Rather than your own wisdom, I'll let you have that so you can see and you can come back to just trusting when I provide. So God says, yeah, through the angel, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. You can stay there in this city, the name of Zoar, which means little. So, okay, Lot, you can stay in Smallville. Okay, there was a couple. <laughs> there was a couple of laughs. Um, Smallville was the town that Superman grew up in. Okay, anyway. Verses 23 to 26 describe the judgment on the entire valley. God's judgment, it was, it was his wrath poured out so fully that even the vegetation was burned up. I mean, just, just overwhelming to stand under God's judgment. We can't. No one can stand. But the specific command was disobeyed, not by Lot this time, but by his, his wife. For some reason, she's behind him. He, he's not really caring for her. He's not helping her along. He, he, he's allowing her to fall behind, and then she stops, she turns, and she watches and the lesson that Jesus calls our minds to in Luke 17 is, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. We lose ourselves for the gospel. We lose ourselves in Jesus. He becomes our life. And we can't look back. And we can't try to, try to hold on to what's behind us. Well, Lot and his two daughters make it to Zoar, and Abraham far away watches. So, so don't get in your mind that, well, because she looked back, it was this magical thing that she looked back and she got turned into a pillar of salt, and that's why, because Abraham from far away is watching also. But he wasn't watching the same way that Lot's wife was watching. Verse 29 is so precious, the goodness of God. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. God saved Lot, even as Abraham was interceding for him, praying for him. Lot responded to God's commands with disobedience, not, not discipling himself, not leading his heart to, to the Lord. He just listened to it. Lot's wife did the same, and it can happen to you, believer. But the consequences will be God's dis discipline on us, and he'll do it in love, but it will be for our good even when it hurts. Now, you might think that's enough. You might hope that that would be enough, but it's not over yet. See, the example is losing to sin. Losing to sin. Now, we're not going to dredge through all the details, but Lot figures out Zoar is not the place you want to be, so they loaded up the truck and headed to Beverly Hills. Not Beverly Hills, but the hills, right? Again, it was fear that drove them up. 
not trusting the Lord. But the, the reasoning in Lot's daughters, their incestuous, nauseating, sinful plan, our fathers, oh, they make up an urgency. There's nobody else around. We have to do this. And, and Lot is unable to counsel his daughters. He already didn't have a lot of counsel, but now he's probably grieving over the loss of his wife. They wanted children. And there's nothing wrong with wanting children, but they said, I'll do whatever it takes to get it. Remember, we've talked about that. I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want. We see the part that alcohol plays in so much immorality. It's not evil to have a drink. But if all you do is evil when you drink, then stop. If you can't help but get drunk, being drunk is explicitly sinful. If, if, you, if you can drink and not get drunk and you're not going to sin, it's not going to bring further sin, then you have a freedom in Christ to, to indulge. But if all it does is bring more sin, then stop. Lot doesn't stop. He says nothing. He doesn't know anything. He's so passed out. And apparently he doesn't say anything even when he finds out what happens. But the long-term results of this were devastating. The Moabites, the Ammonites, two perennial enemies of Israel, even when they came back from the exile in Nehemiah, they are enemies. They're fighting against Israel. Now, the lessons are plain. We'll wrap up with this. Dealing with sin rightly, but the hope is just as real. The hope is that God did not give up on Lot. With all of the head-scratching, face-palm things that Lot did, God didn't give up on him. He is not going to give up on us, his people. He spares his children. He's patient with us. So our application, first thing, confront sin, doubt, fear with the Word of God. You may think it comes from inside. You may think maybe this is God telling me to be in fear. Maybe it's God telling me just to take this sin instead of that sin. Maybe, maybe it's the voice of God. No, it, it, if there is something your heart is telling you, if you're hearing a voice inside that's telling you to sin or that it's okay to sin, it's not. Don't listen to that. Talk back to it. Use the Word of God to strengthen your faith and to fight against those be the exterminator when it's little instead of trying to be a giant slayer when it's huge. Next, conform to God's commands in loving obedience. You know, don't try to respond by, by more sin. Don't, don't try to, to fight back and, and not obey the Lord God. Just immediate, wholehearted, out of love for God, out of thankfulness for all that He is, for all that He's done, how much He's forgiven you. Conform to what He has said. And finally, confess when you lose to sin. We're going to lose once in a while. Lord willing, we're going to lose less and less often. But when you do, just confess it. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our God. That's the God we love. God, we do love you. And Father, we love you imperfectly, God. We, we fall, we stumble, Lord. We, we don't know sometimes that, that we're even falling into sin, but God, you still care for us and you love us. Lord, you said you will never leave us or forsake us. You say when we belong to you, we belong to you forever. Nobody can snatch us out of your hand. Father, thank you for that assurance. Lord, teach us to, to fight against sin. Lord, teach us not to, to be okay with sin, not to allow it just a little or, or even a lot. Lord, help us to hate sin in ourselves first before we try to talk about sin for other people. Lord, help us to have a great love for you and a great love for the people around us so that we will share this message of hope, of deliverance, of salvation, redemption. God, help us to live for our Savior Jesus Christ. In his name and for his glory, amen.